Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, How to Handle Public Disagreement, Part 1. Now, for years, we've been hearing about how important collaboration is, right? That it's important to work with rather than manage your team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you that's don't what like people that saying. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, not really. No, I mean, look, you're always the manager, right? I mean, did you ever think when you were a manager, when you were an executive, that you go down and brainstorm with your team and we're all just equal here now? We're all brainstorming equally? Well, we were brainstorming, but <laughs> we were. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Well, we weren't equals. I was always the manager, right? I mean, you, you don't just take your manager <laughs> hat off and put it off on the table and say, hey, I'm not the manager anymore for the next five minutes while we yeah. collaborate or brainstorm. So you're always the manager. Look, I think collaboration is really super important. I just think collaboration and management go hand in hand. And you're always the manager when you're the manager. You never get to take off that hat. And collaborating is good. But right. when you're collaborating, you can still be managing. And sometimes you have to put, I would say you put that hat aside, but sometimes you're going to take a little bit of a backseat because you want to get input for your folks. During brainstorming, for example, you want folks to be candid and frank, right? You want to encourage that from your directs. Right. You know, otherwise you don't have that free exchange of ideas. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Yeah. Okay. So let's, so we were talking about this earlier and I'm going to share with folks an experience I had a few weeks ago manager I was working with wanted to do just that, wanted to have an open collaborative meeting. They were brainstorming some ideas, right? And this manager was pretty darn good because in the course of the meeting, they were brainstorming. Yeah, brainstorming. They weren't, it wasn't an official brainstorming uh, session, but they were kicking around ideas and, and sharing, sharing thoughts. And one of the folks right. in the room was being open, but just stepped over the line a little bit and they called somebody else's ideas stupid. Now, when I heard that, I could see the fear on people's faces as to what was going to happen next after this individual said that. And this manager, she had a kind of a sideways glance and her eyes at at the person. At At the offending party. At the offending party. And then just ignored it and just went on. And the, the conversation picked up and everything got back on track. And the wisdom of that struck me because all too often managers get bent out of shape. They feel like they, you know, it's a, it's time for a butt chewing right there. And the entire meeting is ruined. Yeah. I think we see that. that, that clearly you were watching a fairly confident manager and less confident managers feel like it's hard work to create the environment where people exchange ideas. You got to prepare for the meeting. And then one guy says something and you and you don't know exactly what the right answer is. We always say that people always want a silver bullet from us, right? They want the one answer that they can solve all their problems with right away. And uh, they immediately feel like while things were going okay, suddenly they're in completely uncharted territory. They don't know what to do. And, and frankly, they believe there's a right answer, but they don't know what it is. Yeah. Right? When it comes to collaboration, right, uh, things that come up are things like, what do you do if nobody speaks up, right? What do you do if somebody takes advantage and sort of hijacks the meeting, right? Um, you know, younger managers and less experienced managers, they'll, they'll let it happen. And then afterwards, somebody goes, why didn't you do something? So, oh, I didn't, I didn't know I could or wasn't sure whether, you know, I didn't want to be disrespectful. He's been here 25 years. I've been here five months. And, you know, or 
um, maybe you've got a bunch of people contributing, but one person crosses their arms and says, I'm, you know, basically passive aggressive. I'm not going to talk. And the one that you bring up is what, ha- what do you do when somebody disagrees publicly in a less than ideal way, right? That's just one of those managerial moments that we know there's a right way to do it. It doesn't do any good for us to keep, uh, keep it under our hat. So that's what this cast is about. How do you handle somebody who disagrees publicly in a way? Look, disagreements are okay. If you say X and I say Y, I say, well, Mike, X is interesting. And what about Y? That We disagree, but it's, and it's public. Everyone knows that you're, you're voting for X, I'm voting for Y. But it's not in a less than ideal way. In fact, I say, I can see your point about X. And hey, can you consider Y for a minute? That's the ideal kind of professional collaboration slash communication slash sharing of differences of opinions that is great. And that's not what this cast is about. We're not going to teach that. We'll teach that some other time. We'll teach you the right phrases to teach your teams and so on. But the question that managers often have is the fear of failing when you've got a good collaborative meeting, a brainstorming session, or an idea-sharing session, a kicking ideas around session, as you say. What do you do when somebody disagrees publicly and it's not done terribly well? We have four recommendations today. The first recommendation, the big recommendation, the big kahuna, the 900-pound gorilla, whatever you want to call it today, is don't make a big deal of it. As that manager whom you were watching did, she let it slide, right? I mean, she noted it. Everybody knew she noted it, and yet she let it slide. And, And our first recommendation, don't make a big deal out of it. Don't respond. Don't punish. Let it go. Take it easy. Your authority is not being questioned. And that's the big kahuna idea. I just want to be clear. I just, just, I was just wondering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just wonder. Yeah. It's not the little kahuna. It's absolutely the big kahuna. It's okay. the gigantic kahuna. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's the Waimea of waves. It's the, you know, uh, Waimea of ideas. Okay. So number two is publicly be thankful of the comment that they're making relative to the process. And what we mean by that is if someone is sharing an idea, even if they're disagreeing with somebody else's, two things are happening. Maybe they're doing it clumsily, but if they're sharing an idea that has some merit, we want to recognize that there was some merit there, right? And we don't want to make a big deal, going back to point number one, about the disagreement that they're voicing, okay? So you're actually saying thank you, or you actually help continue the discussion while ignoring the faux pas, however small or big it might be, to keep the process going. Because of points three and four, which is point three is don't tolerate abuse. Look, if somebody does something really egregious, and we'll define that in a little bit here, if somebody does something really, really bad, then of course you stop the meeting and you give them some very direct and specific alarming feedback, if you will, after everybody else is gone. So you can do that if it's bad enough. You've always got that as a backstop. It rarely happens, folks. That's just not going to happen, but maybe once every five years to any given manager, we would guess. And then the fourth point is the reason you can not make a big deal out of it in the moment and you actually thank people or, or at least you comment favorably on their suggestion or the recommendation, even if they did it clumsily, is because our fourth point is give private feedback when necessary. In other words, if what they did is worthy of a bit of feedback, you would give them a little bit of feedback later in a one-on-one or 15 minutes after the meeting or you hold them back up when everybody else leaves and you mention it to them very briefly. Uh, we're not going to go through the four-step feedback model here. We're not going to teach that again, but but um, we've obviously got a lot of casts on it. But we just recommend giving people private feedback. And the point is two things happened. One, They're sharing an idea, which is a good thing, and they're doing it poorly. In the public session, we're thankful 
we may actually say thank, thank you, we may not. We're actually thankful that they're sharing an idea. They're supporting the process of idea sharing. Or they're supporting the idea that disagreements are okay, right? I've heard it said it before. I've said it before on air. Uh, my dad used to tell me the definition of conflict is two human beings in the same county. You're going to have conflict. It's no big deal to have conflict, okay? The private part, privately, is where you address the, the less than ideal way they delivered it, and you just give them some feedback. That's it. Four steps. Okay, so the big kahuna, don't make a big deal of it. I suppose you're saying that is the most important of the points we're going to make today because this is where a lot of managers go wrong, right? That they overreact to these public disagreements. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. I mean, uh, collaboration, idea sharing, open communication, candid discussion among people that doesn't require you asking everybody all the time, Bob, what do you think? Rowena, what do you think? Uh, Arwen, what do you think? Or whatever. That kind of open collaboration is a good thing. And if you overreact and punish someone who's doing it clumsily, even if they're intentionally, if they're clever enough to, to know they're doing it, they're not just a sort of a bull in a shine, china shop mentality. If you address their failure, if you address their weakness, you're going to kill a lot of that open communication, that open sharing. Folks, we assure you, unless one of your direct goes off and, and they have a loud diatribe and they attack people in the room personally, there is no need for you to respond sharply to a clumsy disagreement. And we'll give you some examples here in a minute. Ever. You don't ever have to do it. There is no value in verbally spanking someone, if you'll pardon the expression, who acts out or is even borderline or actually unprofessional. There's no need, there's no value in pointing them out, in, in embarrassing them in front of everybody else. Now, there is a case where, we're, where if they really, really go far that we're going to stop the meeting, but that's pretty darn rare, okay? Um, but doing it in front of others and then expecting the conversation to continue, it's just not going to happen. Right, so we recommend you don't make a big deal out of it. One of your direct, when one of your directs publicly disagrees. Okay, now look again. I've, as I said before, we want to caveat this. There are tons of disagreements which are good. If Mike says, "Well, I really think we ought to go to Minneapolis next year, planning our conferences," and I say, "Well, I hear you there. I understand that the, the demographics suggest that we go there, and we haven't been there yet." Oh, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. I, yeah. I take exception. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> nice. Folks, Mike just demonstrated what we call hair trigger, which we're going to put out in a future cast. <laughs> um, but but if you bring if you if we're talking about conference locations for 2011, you say, you know, the demographics suggest Minneapolis. And I chuckle and say, yeah, as long as it's not January. And um, you say, you know, the numbers suggest we haven't been there yet. And there's a pretty we have a pretty healthy contingent of manager tools listeners there. And I'd say, yeah, and since we're looking at a limited number of days, limited, limited number of conferences, maybe 20 conferences next year, I totally agree. Minneapolis should be in the list. And I'm actually thinking that maybe we ought to go to New York or Chicago three times this year rather than just twice, just because of the size of those markets. We need to do the math. That is a disagreement, perhaps, or we're putting out different ideas, that one of which may be, have to succumb to the other one. But that's professional disagreement. It's done well. It's done professionally and politely and respectfully, okay? But when one of your directs doesn't do it, if Mike says Minneapolis and I say, that's just stupid, dude. Do you know what you're saying? Minneapolis in January? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about January. So we don't make a big deal out of it. We let it go. We don't respond in anger. We don't punish the small mistake. 
we focus more on keeping the conversation going. We don't punish content, right, the, the, the mistake that they made in their delivery, and thereby shut off our debate. Don't, folks, don't worry that your authority is being questioned. It is not. Now, now I want to be clear about something about that. Your authority cannot be questioned. Your authority is your authority. The sun, our sun that heats the earth, is the sun. People who question it, technically they are questioning the sun, but no one really gives them a lot of credence, okay? No one of your directs gives credence to another one of your directs, one of their peers, who questions how much authority you have, unless you're a megalomaniac and trying to run the company or something. When it comes to a meeting that you've scheduled, you're the 900-pound gorilla in the room. They're not questioning your authority when they're being petulant or pushing back, pushing back. They may be thinking they can get away with something. They may be immature. They may be emotionally immature and therefore professionally immature. But they're not questioning your authority because your authority is your authority. It can't be questioned. They may think that they're challenging you. And the best thing in the world to do is not respond to a challenge of your authority. As I've said before, the President of the United States, uh, and usually most heads of state, never respond to public direct attacks because you don't respond to someone who is less powerful than you. You just don't. So we don't worry about our authority being questioned. It's not. Maybe the person is clumsy. Maybe they're a jerk. And we'll deal with that later. Right now, we're trying to get something done in the meeting, and we're going to overlook their faux pas, their issue, their concern. We're not going to make a big deal out of it. Well, there's a whole continuum of responses, right? You talked about the conversation you described earlier between us. You described as a profession as professional disagreement. You want me to go to Minneapolis, right? That, that's the one you're referring to. Great. Right, right, yeah, got right. it. We are. We will go to Minneapolis, folks. I actually, I actually do like Minneapolis. I think the governor of Minnesota once said, "If we didn't have as nice as Minnesota is for a large part of the year, I think the comment was, if we didn't have winter, we'd be overrun." <laughs> yeah. And folks, uh, yeah, Mark wanted to go to Minneapolis. I suggested that we really ought to serve the five listeners we have in Hawaii and yeah. conference there. Because <laughs> those five people are feeling pretty left out right now. Actually, I think I'm just it's saying. a couple hundred. But just anyway, saying. okay. So, okay. So, but what what constitutes going over the line? Where's the, where's the line between professional disagreement yeah. and going too far? Now, if somebody, you know, jumps across the table and whacks somebody on the side of the head with a closed fist... Okay, that's yeah. too far. But physicality, <laughs> physicality is over the line. Okay, but yeah. there's 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 things far short of that that yeah. would would suggest the person has gone too far, and and maybe later we're going to give them some feedback. So, what's reasonable? What's not? Yeah, good. So let, let's start with ideal behavior, and the ideal way to po- to suggest an idea that's different than someone else's or a different point of view. Or to directly disagree. Suggesting an alternate is not the same thing as disagreeing. Or to directly disagree. Basically, the same. you do it the same theoretical way, which is to say you honor the previous idea and you suggest yours as a different idea, but one that is neither wrong nor right, simply a different way of thinking about it. It's the difference between but and and. Mike, I like the idea of going to Minneapolis, and maybe we ought to also consider something else. We're essentially saying there are two ideas on the table in front of us, rather than I want to kick your idea off the table with my idea. Maybe you think Minneapolis is good, but I know that Iowa is better, right? That is 
on the gray side of the line, on the black side of the line, and the, the white side of the line, and saying, "Hey, your idea is good, and here's an idea to consider." Well, <laughs> what side of the line was it on? Was it on the the gray side, the black side, or the white side? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sorry, dude. That was bad. That was bad. Total. That was the ultimate mixed metaphor. Um, yeah, the white side. It's on. It's on one of them. Yeah. We know it's on one of them. So. Yeah, it's one of them. It's on, yeah, the the good side of the line. Let's talk about good and bad. The good side of the line is. Hey, that's a good idea, Mike. And in fact, that's a good way to remember it. The good side of the line includes the word good. Mike, that's a good idea. And my idea is good too, which is different, but it just happens to be different than yours. Okay. Let's talk about, there's sort of a continuum here. Once we get over to the bad side of the line, whether it's gray or white or black. And what we thought we'd do is I I, kind of came up with three different scenarios that I have seen before in coaching folks. And the three scenarios are, these are quotes from the person who does the disagreement. One, I disagree. Number two, that's wrong. And number three, you're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I wonder which Uh, side that's on. Okay. Yeah. So I disagree. I disagree. We're not going to make a distinction, by the way, folks. This is interesting for some of you. We're not going to make a distinction between one of your team disagreeing with you or disagreeing with someone else. When you begin to make that distinction, you're a little bit off base. If you're thinking that's important when you're discussing ideas, you're you're mistaken and probably a little bit thin-skinned. If your team gets really quiet... When someone says, I disagree, after you've stated something in an open discussion where you're trying to get ideas, you've asked for ideas, you've asked for thoughts, you ask for ways to cut the budget, whatever, and everybody gets real quiet, it's either because that person is probably a bully or you're very thin-skinned or and or all three of the above, you have a temper. That said... Believe it or not, I disagree. The phrase I disagree is a fairly highbrowed way. It's, it, it is on the, the bad side of the line because it does engender a little bit of hurt feelings quite often with people. Uh, but it is a fairly highbrowed way to express a difference of opinion. A better way I've already alluded to is I can see your point and here's my point. Now, I disagree is somewhat similar to I see your point, but here's my point. That's a little bit of I, I'm going, I want to point out that you and I disagree. Regardless, the I disagree or you say X, but I say Y um, are both essentially the same sort of thing. It's pointing out, it's making clear we disagree. Not that there are just two ideas to talk about, um, but that we disagree. In other words, my idea and your idea can't survive at the same time. Okay. The next one is someone saying that's wrong. This is slightly more aggressive than disagreeing. Though, again, we don't think disagreement, the first one we mentioned, is a really big problem. So really, someone saying that's wrong really isn't a cause for alarm. Okay, Trust me on this. If you're thinking this is an attack, right, you, you might be right. Okay, For those of you who know DISC, if a high D says that's wrong, he doesn't mean it as a personal comment. It's not an attack at all. Frankly, high Ds rarely think about other people, so why would they start making an attack just because you're wrong? Because most people are wrong around them anyway, right? If a high I says it to you, she's just mixing it up, and she's just enjoying this awesome exchange of idea, brainstorming, discussion, collaboration thing. Isn't it fun? Awesome. I'm texting my friends while I'm doing it, and I'm on the phone too. Now, if a high C, a perfectionist, a, you know, a person who dots their I's and cross their T, if a high C says, 
you know, you're that's wrong. Yeah. Then then you you're you're that's drawing an attack. The that's an attack. <laughs> that's an attack. Yeah. You're probably right. It's yeah. an attack. A high C can think think of few things as derogatory about someone uh, uh, other than them about them being wrong. Right. Right. If you're wrong about something, they you know. Frankly, the Lord, our you know, fears a high C with a lot of data and convictions and telling somebody else that they're wrong. So our point is, don't assume that someone saying that's wrong is an attack. It may not be. It's certainly someone saying that's wrong is not helpful. They may not mean it as unhelpful, but the fact is, for many people, it's, it's unhelpful, even if it's not a personal attack. And so it is a cause for private feedback later, which we'll talk about it. And for those of you high S's out there, or you high C's who are wondering whether or not we're going to say something, we didn't include our discussion of high S's saying this, because of course a high S would never say, that's wrong, or you're wrong. Not in a million years. <laughs> they just wouldn't. They'd smile and say, thank you for sharing. In fact, interestingly enough, our, the, I hadn't thought about it until, until I said that, but this cast is a little bit about being more of a high S, and, and, and focusing on the good, right, and trying to keep the team together, rather than pointing out the flaw in someone... Uh, saying a good idea, but prefacing it with, you're an idiot. Right. Which brings us to our third suggestion in the continuum, our third possible public disagreement that might be objectionable, which is you're stupid. You're stupid or you're an idiot, those kind of things. Cross the line into what we call an ad hominem, which is a personal attack. And we don't recommend you ever tolerate it. Ever. You don't, you don't tolerate this. Now, we're not suggesting you hammer them at the moment. We're not. Believe me, we're not. We're going to talk about how to handle it in just a minute, but we don't recommend you tolerate it. By the way, if you have an irascible direct who uses the phrasing, you'd have to be stupid to think that, they might be thinking themselves really clever with the words they're using, but don't worry, you're right, they're being disrespectful and unprofessional if they're saying, you'd have to be stupid to think that, and then when you tell them later, hey, when you call people stupid, and they say, I didn't call them stupid, you say, okay, fine, yeah, yeah, you did. You'd have to be stupid to think that really is saying that you're stupid. Yeah, and believe it or not, you're still saying that we don't recommend that you give them feedback about that or address that in the moment. No, no, we don't. Okay. Look, we've tried it. Look, a lot of this stuff comes from our experience as well as commanders and executives we coach. We've seen it tried. It just, if the manager interjects with what amounts to managerial guidance that's negative, let's call it feedback, even though it isn't, you just put the kibosh on the discussion you're having. Everybody's going to withdraw. It's not going to work. Uh, and so the question is, how can we keep getting value out of the discussion we're in while also change future behavior? Because those of you who know our feedback model know that feedback is not about punishing people. It's about changing future behavior. Because once somebody says in a meeting, you're stupid, they can't ever go back and unsay you're stupid. It will have always happened and there's nothing we can do about the past. Okay, now hopefully the escalation between I disagree and that's wrong or you're wrong and you're stupid is clear to folks, right? Now look, disagreement is inevitable. And making the inevitable visible by saying I disagree is, in our opinion, it's just good professional behavior, okay? It's really talking about the 900-pound gorilla in the room. Now saying something is wrong takes a lot of form, but it's still technically, it takes a lot of forms, but it's still in the realm of ideas, which are not only not behavior, right? It's often unprovable what one person says about or what one person thinks about right and wrong. So disagreement and wrongness are sort of in the area of ideas, and they're probably okay. 
You're stupid, though, again, passes into a personal attack. This person is not talking about ideas anymore. They're attempting to win an argument by denigrating another team member, which hopefully some of you have heard before relates to our guidance that the first two rules about terminating someone are for A, performance, and B, tearing down the team. Uh, this is a pretty mild form of tearing down the team, but if they're attacking somebody to win an argument, that's what they're engaged in. Okay? And the key to all this is there's a critical lesson in here. There is a distinction we're making between the process by which we get to a decision and the decision itself. Okay? Folks, don't confuse making pancakes with eating pancakes. Don't confuse planning a sales call with making one. Okay, the collaboration you're going through is not part of your making of a decision. Okay, and this is important because if somebody disagrees, even if they disagree with you, they're not challenging your ability to make the decision. In fact, that disagreement is about the ideas in the preparation of the decision, and it's not the actual decision. Decision-making processes, which often include soliciting input from other people, are different from actually making the decision. In fact, I'd argue the phrase decision-making process is really a bit misleading. It ought to be decision preparation process or pre-decision thinking and discussion process, right? Decision-making isn't a process, it's a moment. Now look, okay, sure, fine, gather data, hear from everybody, it usually works. But don't confuse making your decision as the manager with preparing to make it and ensuring that you're going to make a good one. Making it and preparing for it are two completely different things. And, and if you can see that that decision itself and the preparation are different, then the two different processes we're talking about here call for different behaviors. It's like we said before about how many of us as managers struggle with brainstorming. We're so good at the process of turning many things into one in, order, in, in terms of deciding things. I've got, a, I've got eight ideas, I'm gonna pick one, right? We're so good at the process of turning many into one in order to make decisions that we struggle with the idea of coming up with 100 ideas quickly. We're really good at reductive processes, but we're not really good at creative processes. Uh, and decision-making and decision preparation are the same way. Decision-making calls for choosing, for eliminating all but one idea, and planning its implementation. Decision preparation, which is all this collaboration that people want us to do, let's all be peers, let's all just have a kumbaya moment, Decision preparation calls for not choosing, for not eliminating, for considering all options, and for not planning yet, because we haven't decided. You can only plan after you decide. So when somebody disagrees with us, here's the key point here. I'm sorry, it's sort of long. Um, when somebody disagrees with us or somebody else on the team, when we're in the decision-making process, the old language, right, what everybody calls the decision-making process, which is really preparation, that's exactly what we want them to be doing to be disagreeing. And we oughtn't be punishing them too quickly or too harshly just because they're doing what we want them to be doing, even if they're doing it in a clumsy way. They're not disagreeing with our decision yet. Now, that's a whole different kettle of fish. What they're doing is they're adding to the pile of ideas and they're doing it in a really, really crummy way. Yeah. I guess you could punish them for, uh, oh, disagreeing in a clumsy way. And then in your next meeting, you just sit there and everybody sits around like a bump in the log and you have no input whatsoever. Yeah. You're basically saying in two seconds what it took me two minutes to say. What, why should, We've only been doing this for five years. Why does that surprise anybody, right? What you're saying is if you decide you want to address their behavior, if you want to put the kibosh on them, uh, on the clumsiness, if you want to address the clumsiness, they're going to think you're attacking their idea. 
they're then not going to share as many ideas. So feel free to address it and say, well, we can't do this incorrectly. So let's everybody make sure we do. When you share an idea, we'll share it exactly the right way. Let me take a, let me, let me tell Bob he did that poorly and then watch Bob sit on his hands the next meeting. And frankly, if he was willing to disagree publicly, he's probably one of the more strong people on your team in terms of ego strength. And if Bob's going to sit on his hands, so are three or four other people going to sit on their hands too. And now you're going to have a bunch of stony faces staring at you, afraid that you're going to correct them on how they share ideas. This is a terrible thing to visit on your folks. I've seen this numerous times. I won't take us down this this rabbit hole, but where managers essentially grow up, if I can use that term, grow up on a, a particular executive who does not invite disagreement, does not invite this kind of collaboration. And then those managers or those directs, they end up in meetings with other executives and they yeah. don't know how to participate. They, they don't know how to participate. Exactly and, and right. they're unwilling to engage in conflict. And as an executive, that is a kiss of death. It yeah. really is. So anyway, that's 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 probably another cast. That's something. a good one. That's that's a, you know. There's a whole theme there about managerial development of folks, and we've said before that you're you're when you're an executive, you get you get evaluated based on the success of people who used to work for you in terms of their ability to become executives as well. Can you create more executives? And what you're talking about is exactly right, right? If you squash every single time somebody does something not right, you're going to get a bunch of people waiting for you to tell them what's right. Uh, and as they say, an idea is a dangerous thing if it's the only one you have. Yeah, absolutely. I, look, I've got to bring this up because it's one of my favorite passages in a, in a fiction book. There's a great literary fiction example of this concept at work. Tom Clancy, the, the American author who wrote a book years ago, and I think it was in 80, 81, 82, came out while we were at school, Mike. The, the book uh, Hunt for Red October, but but uh, which is a breakthrough book. He also wrote a book called Executive Orders in the nineties. Uh, and in the book, an American president is faced with a biological terror attack on the U.S. The president basically calls the cabinet together and they have a meeting to debate whether or not to shut down interstate transportation in the U.S. This biological agent can be transported by people, and the president is thinking, if we stop interstate transportation, we got a chance to to let this thing die out. It has a half shelf life of three or four days or something, right? There's this very fierce debate. The president actually says, okay, here's our options. I want to hear from you guys. Let's talk about it, right? So there's this very fierce debate addressing whether it will work to stop the spread of this biological agent and, and whole separate issue, whether or not the president even has the power to do what he wants to do. In the U.S., folks, if you don't know this in the U.S., the Constitution says... Everyone has a right to interstate travel. You know, the government can't prohibit people going between the states. Um, it's one of our basic freedoms. It's not one that gets talked about a lot. It's one that we take for granted because no one can imagine not being, you know, being told, oh, by the way, Utah's closed this week. Right? That doesn't make much sense to people. But in fact, there is some question about whether or not the president can order the stopping of this. So there are really kind of numerous issues. And the debate goes on for some time in the book, and you know, several pages. And the president really kind of, is, he's made his points, and then he's, he's listening to the debate and not really commenting. And participants are pretty loud. And these are all very, very accomplished people, cabinet ministers at the highest levels of government. You know, people are willing to be very direct, very blunt, say almost anything to get their point across and to win the argument. It's pretty heated. Sometimes it's thoughtful. Sometimes it's both heated and thoughtful. And basically at the end of this, I don't know how long it was, but it seemed like, my recollection is it was like an hour or two hour meeting. The president finally asked everybody to give the recommendation. Okay. 
And as it turns out, the tally among the 20 or so people in the room is something like 19 to 2 against the president shutting down interstate travel and commerce. Some people didn't think he should. Some people didn't think he could, right, for whatever reason. And so the president hears their points. He goes around the room and pulls everybody. says, what do you think I should do and why? He gets their recommendation and says something like, okay, thanks. We're going to shut down interstate commerce. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the cabinet members are just stunned. Like, wait, why did you ask our opinion, right? And in my opinion, by the way, the president is doing it right. Whether you agree or disagree with him or not is a whole separate thing. He immediately then turns and orders the Secretary of Transportation, one of the cabinet ministers, to enact his order. And the Secretary of Transportation refuses, you know, out of a matter of conviction, having been one of the majority who recommended against it for whatever reason. The president then says as the Secretary of Transportation something to the effect of, hey, I totally understand. I admire your conviction. Well said. And I accept your resignation as my Secretary (laughs) of Transportation. And he turns to the Secretary of Transportation's deputy there in the room and says, you're now appointed Secretary of Transportation. Will you carry out my order? And this young young woman says, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now look, it's a great story. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and find that book and read it. The point of the reference I'm making is to point out the difference between the process of making decisions and the actual making of them. The difference between the process of it and the making of it. Decisions are specific things. If you've listened to us before, you know a decision is a choice and a plan. A decision is not a thinking process. The decision itself is a call to action, and it stands apart from the process by which it was arrived. Okay? There are good decisions that are made singularly by oneself, without input, and bad decisions including everybody's input, and the contrapositive of those things is true as well. The decision is not the process and, and vice versa. All this discussion about collaboration has made it popular to imply to managers that all decisions made with input are better than all decisions made without debate. That's false. Okay. Now, look, it's, it's generally true that the more information you get, the better off you're going to be, right? But not always true. And as we've said earlier, the two different actions, preparing for and then deciding, call for two different mindsets. One's creative and one's destructive. And two different sets of actions. Frankly, as alluded to in the story... The first part, to make a good decision preparation process, you want something that's almost approaching anarchy, where people can be a little bit, if in the service of good ideas they stumble a little bit or they say something a little bit rough around the edges, we don't want to stop them. Okay, It's okay. Now, look, we're not, again, we're not suggesting anybody tear each other's heads off. We're talking about within some professional bounds, which you've already sketched out, right? But the first part is something that almost approaches anarchy. But then once the decision is made, assuming that this discussion we're having leads to a decision of some sort, the decision itself is something that approaches ruthless dictatorship. Okay, hey, thanks for the input. We're going to do this, right? And and there's really no discussion once the manager, if you're in charge of your team, say you're going to do X or Y or Z. And it's important that we don't think of the decision-making process is having to be so collaborative that, or that it, we're so worried about our, our authority that we're going to punish anybody who, said, who gives us an idea that might be good in a way that's not effective. We don't really worry if they're clumsy about it. We don't even worry if they're intentionally a little bit negative as long as they don't go way too far, which we'll talk about later. Okay, We've often shared that, that many folks who listen to us their views about how decisions are arrived at in the military are are mistaken, right? A lot of people think that all military officers and non-commissioned officers give direct verbal orders from on high. They don't take any input. There's no debate and so on. 
Um, that's just not true. Mike and I can tell you great stories of, uh, of an organization, you know, in staff meetings, being in, uh, you know, being in knockdown, drag out meetings with our leader, our manager, commander, whatever you want to call them, about all kinds of operations that we were involved in. The debates were furious and, and, and rough around the edges, frankly. And believe it or not, Believe it or not, junior folks, folks with not a lot of rank, were expected to be involved, expected to have an opinion, expected to offer the opinion, even if they didn't really have a lot of credibility with the team. They needed to learn how to debate, how to discuss. If you didn't have different ideas, if you didn't have a point, if you just agreed with the colonel all the time, you were considered to be selfishly avoiding your responsibility, which is a really big no-no. You were trying to make yourself look good by just always agreeing. Right. You're considered something else, but we're not going to... Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I won't name well that. Said. Yeah. Uh, back then, we were younger and we were in the military and we used lots more bad words. But look, debate was encouraged right up until the moment the leader made a decision. Then, at that time, everyone acted as if it was their decision. Now, folks, if this sounds weird, you know, we're sorry. This is the very definition of professional behavior. Very definition of a modern major general. No, no, no pun intended. Oh, okay, pun intended. Um, if you've never seen this happen, a bunch of people going at it, hammer and tongs, and then saying, "Okay, we're going to do X," and everybody goes along, and they never ever mention that they were in favor of Y or Z or A or B or C after the fact. If you've never seen it, we're sorry, but it happens, and that's the way professionals do it. If you've seen your associates think it's okay to slow play something because they disagree or poor mouth the boss's decision after a meeting, or if you've done that yourself, we're sorry, that's not the way you do it. What you've seen is what some people think they can get away with. It may be tolerated in places you've been, but it's still unprofessional. And we actually have codified this in Horseman's Law of Murdering the Unchosen Alternative. You don't get to enact a boss's decision weekly or in a way that is purposefully ineffective just because you disagree with it. As professionals, as managers, as professionals, we're obligated to both make a case for what we believe is best and to implement vigorously whatever plan the boss endorses, regardless of how energetic our support for the other plan was. We murder anything that isn't in the decision that has been made, meaning we don't use our belief in the other plan as a reason not to engage with the organization's efforts. Otherwise, there's no reason to have an organization because you don't get the specialization of labor and the clarity of focus that delivers better results. If you're part of a team that is helping a boss decide, you can fight like hell. You can have discussions and debates, and we expect you to. And it's okay to be a little bit less than ideal in your word choice. And managers, you don't need to punish them for it. But then we also expect, after you fight like hell, to acquiesce professionally. Now, if you're a manager and you're having to decide A or B or C and you're wanting input, it's okay to tolerate a little bit of creative anarchy on the front end and maybe even a little bit of a bruised ego among one of your team when someone says something a little bit rough that you're not going to punish them for at the moment. You're just going to give them feedback later. And then after we've heard all that thing, we brook all, all the input, we brook no dissent on what we're going to do. This is what effective organizational decision behavior looks like. This means that even when somebody public disagrees, the effective manager chooses to let it slide, to not make an issue of it publicly, to not make a show of strength, to quiet the dissenter. And that's why we say don't overreact. And I'm sorry that was so long, but there's so much to cover when it comes to management. And there are a lot of ideas that underpin some of the specific actions we recommend. And we want you to know them. So when somebody throws you a curveball, you know how to handle the curveball. Yeah, I can't think of anything 
more important than a manager does than making decisions. And right. any discussion around the decision-making process is a valuable one. So, Yeah. In fact, you know, it's funny. I Somebody mentioned that recently. It may have been you. He's saying, you know, decisions are nothing more important than decisions. And what have we said all along? What's the most important thing managers do? Hiring. What is hiring? A, a decision about people. And what's Horseman's first law? It's all about people. Yeah. Decisions about people are really, really, really important. Thanks, everyone. That's it. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll finish this one up next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.